Thank you. Good morning. Last week, Nick kicked off our six-week series on neighboring, and he looked at Matthew 22, where Jesus says that the two greatest commandments are to love God with your entire being and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so over the next five weeks, we are going to be focusing on that second commandment of loving your neighbor as yourself. And Nick last week also said that the greatest way that we can love our neighbors as ourselves is to introduce them to our King Jesus. This week, we want to kick off by sharing in an incredible story that we find incredibly encouraging of the power of introducing someone to Jesus. And so will you welcome up Jim Friesen, and he's going to share a story of the power of introducing someone to Jesus. Thank you. Uh, this story that I'm going to share today actually started about 10 or 12 years ago when Nick was preaching a sermon about transferring your faith. And we didn't call it neighboring at that time, but it's the, really the same thing. And as part of his sermon, he had, a, he had a basket of batons right up here at the front. And at the end of the sermon, he invited any of us that wanted to to come take one of those batons and give it to somebody else as an act of transferring our faith. My wife and I started walking out, and I felt compelled to come back and pick one up, and I did. And so the next day at work, my oldest son worked for me at the time, and I told him I would like to take him out to lunch, and that we weren't going to talk about work at all, but I was going to talk about this baton that I had that I would love to be able to give to him someday if he wanted to take it, and if he was ready to take it. And the being ready part of it had to do with, I would only give it to him if he was ready to give it to somebody else. So he and I started meeting regularly, and he reacquainted himself with Jesus during that process. And one day, as we were walking back to our car, following, uh, following our meeting, he said, Dad, I'm, I'm ready for the baton. And I was caught completely off guard. And, and I reminded him again about the condition on, on which I would give it to him. And he said, no, I'm, I'm ready. So I gave it to him. And uh, shortly thereafter, he invited his brother, his younger brother, to come to church with him. And the two of them began attending regularly. It was a fairly large church. And, and the younger brother, who was a former musician, quickly got involved in the worship team, the worship ministry of that church, and uh, is still involved there. So his younger brother then took the baton and started talking to his wife of 11 years, um, who by her own words would say, I will never set foot in a church because I'd simply explode in a ball of fire if I ever did. And so, anyway, we began praying for her, or had been praying for her, I should say, for those, the time that we knew her from the time before they were married. And about seven years ago, she hurt her foot real badly, and my wife was actually taking her to the doctor one morning. And, and again, my wife Lois had been praying for an opportunity to again invite her to come to church. And, and out of the blue, our daughter-in-law said, 
you know, my, my husband's going to be singing a solo in church next Sunday, and, and I think I'd probably like to come and listen to him. Well, we were obviously overjoyed. That began the, the third wave of the story, and she was baptized six years ago. Um, for several years following her baptism, she would literally just cry, just weep every Sunday morning with tears of joy, and it was just exciting for us. Well, in the midst of all of this, there was a young lady that worked for me at the time that, <clears throat> that began asking some spiritual questions, and we would talk back and forth as, as the days went on, and, and I, I invited her one time to come join us in church some Sunday, and uh, the first time she came, she was 28 years old at the time, was the first time she had ever set foot inside of a church building. Well, she started coming regularly, and you can imagine what my Monday mornings were, with her never having been in a church. I was answering all sorts of questions about why did we do that, why did we do this, etc., etc. Well, anyway, through that, she ended up being baptized right here at Waterstone after accepting Christ during a service one Sunday morning. That young lady later began dating our son and is now our daughter-in-law. Uh, <laughs> so the point of all this, from my perspective, is I think we have to continue to pray and we have to courageously take that first step because we don't ever know where that first step is going to lead. And for us, it landed in many happy places. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. I think you took my first page as well. <laughs> Thanks. That is an incredible story. And I think that most of us in this room wish that we could have a story like that. We wish that we could be a part and see God's transformation of someone else firsthand. And so that's why we're here. That's why we're doing this series over the next five weeks is to explore how do we actually do that. And as Nick pointed out last week, Jesus told the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10 in response to a religious leader asking, who is my neighbor? He was trying to limit down who he would have to love as himself. And Jesus told this story of the Good Samaritan in response and basically, Nick stated last week, is that the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is switching the story from who is my neighbor to am I a neighbor? Am I someone who's going to love everyone else that I come into contact with? Everyone within our circle of influence is our neighbor. That's a little overwhelming, isn't it? And now... If you're like me, if I have an overwhelming project and loving everyone that I come into contact with as myself, I think considered is an overwhelming project, I tend to never start because I don't know where to start. And so we have decided that, that we need a starting place to learn how to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we've decided that we should start by loving our neighbors as ourselves and that we should focus in on our actual neighbors. It kind of fits, doesn't it? And so as you walked in this morning, most everyone was handed a magnet. 
And this magnet, our hope for you is that, that we, you, your home, your apartment, your condo is that center square. And the squares around it are the eight closest neighbors to your home. And so take a moment and mentally fill in as many names of the people that live in the homes around you. You can go home and write it in a nice marker when you get home. Try and fill in their kids' names if they have any. According to the book, The Art of Neighboring, only 10% of Americans can fill in all of the names on this magnet. And so our challenge to you is that you take this magnet home, that you put it up on your refrigerator, and over this next month, as we continue on in this neighboring series, and even after we finish this series on neighboring, that you would seek to fill in those blank squares. That you would seek out to find out the names of those people. And some of you may be thinking, I've been neighbors with them for too long, it would be embarrassing to go up and ask them their name. As someone who's terrible at remembering people's names, trust me, I guarantee it, it will not kill you to ask someone their name. And as soon as you do find their name out, you run home and you write it down on the magnet before you forget like I do. And also, if you don't know their name, the chances are they probably don't remember yours and are too afraid to ask you. But for those of you that that, and we saw that most of us in this room are introverts, for those of you that are introverts, what you can also do is you can go to whitepages.com, you can enter in their address, and out pops whoever owns that property. Now, if you're running like my wife or I, you're out of luck. You've just got to do it the old-fashioned way and actually ask them their names. I don't know about you, but for me, knowing someone's name is usually the first step in me caring about them. If they are just that guy or that gal that lives over there, I don't really want to be invested in them. But as soon as they become a person, as soon as they have a name, it's far easier to have a conversation with them. Now, we have tried to distill down what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And we see that played out in three actions. Pray, engage, and share. And so we are to love our neighbors by, by praying for them. And we are to love our neighbors by engaging in relationships with them, actually spending time with them, and caring for them when they are both in the highs and the lows of life. And we are to love our neighbors as ourselves by sharing the good news that can be found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this morning, we are going to be focusing in on praying for our neighbors in our neighborhoods. And I would argue that that is the first step to loving our neighbors well, is to pray bold prayers on their behalf. But why do we pray? 
We pray because our prayers matter to God. Our prayers are effective. God actually listens to us. And also because when God listens to us, he uses his supernatural power to accomplish his will. As James, in the book of James states, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So first, our prayers are effective. God actually listens to us. You can regularly read the news of stories of people or groups that have the opportunity to meet with the president, and they get to speak on behalf of other people that normally do not have a voice that high up in the government. And they need the weight and the power of the office of the president in order for them to receive the help that they need. Individuals and groups would have stopped meeting with the president a long time ago if it never made a difference. So we have an opportunity to talk with the God of the universe and speak on behalf of our neighbors because we need the weight and the power of God in order to help them. God hears our prayers and they make a difference with him and he takes action even if we can't see it when we pray. We also pray because God listens to us and he uses his supernatural power to accomplish his wills. E.M. Bounds, a 19th century Methodist minister, said that prayer is the easiest and the hardest of all things, the simplest and the sublimest, the weakest and the most powerful. Its results lie outside the range of human possibilities. They are limited only by the omnipotence, the power of God. Few Christians have anything but a vague idea of the power of prayer, and fewer still have any experience of that power. The church seems almost wholly unaware of the power God puts into our hand. This spiritual carte blanche on the infinite resources of God's wisdom and power is rarely if ever used, never used to the full measure of honoring God. It is astounding how poor the use, how little the benefits. Prayer is our most formidable weapon, but the one in which we are the least skilled, the most averse to its use. We do everything for the unbeliever, save the thing God wants us to do. The only thing which does any good and makes all else we do efficient. When God responds to our prayers, he responds in supernatural ways. There is only so much that you and I can accomplish. There is only so much that we can do for our neighbors before we have nothing left for them. But God in his supernatural power can accomplish anything. He spoke a word, and creation burst into existence. We pray for other people, our neighbors, because God has at his disposal supernatural power that we do not possess. So we pray to God 
Because as James states, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So, how are we to pray for our neighbors? First, we need to pray for ourselves. Second, we need to pray for our neighbors. And the third step is that we repeat steps one and two over and over and over and over again. So step one is praying for our neighbors is that we need to pray for ourselves. We do this because I think that some of you, since I mentioned that we are going to be starting this neighboring thing with our actual physical neighbors, have been thinking, you don't know my neighbor. If you knew my neighbor, you would know how big of a request that you are asking of me. My neighbor blasts their music late at night or early in the morning, and I've asked them to stop, but they won't. They've reported me to the HOA for some minor infraction. They're rude to my children. They fill in the blank. We've all had bad neighbors, neighbors that aren't exactly easy to like, and neighbors that certainly are not easy to love. I sometimes wish that Jesus would have said, love your neighbor whom you like as yourself. But he didn't, did he? We are called to love our neighbors whom we dislike just as much as the neighbors who we do like. But that's the problem, is it? isn't it? We don't know how to. I don't know how to manufacture within myself a love for my neighbor who I have a really hard time being around them. But we know someone who does love them. We know someone that loves them far more than we ever will. Jesus. And so our first step and loving our neighbors is that we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray that God would break our heart for our neighbors, and especially our neighbors that we have a hard time with. We need to pray that, that God would reveal to us why he loves that neighbor. We need to ask God to give us compassion for that neighbor. We need to ask God to show us the needs of our neighbor. And we need to pray that God would give us the resources, time, financial, and emotional, to be able to love them well. So our first step is to pray for ourselves because we are going to need God's help in praying for and loving our neighbors well. If we don't have God's help in loving our neighbors, we aren't going to go very far in loving them. So step number two, though, is praying for our neighbors. I know. Big surprise, right? As we turn to praying for our neighbors, I want us to remember that God is inviting us to participate with him in his redemptive activity in the world through prayer. But what do we pray for our neighbors about? And Richard Foster writes, 
In the ongoing work of the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than the intercessory prayer, which is just praying on behalf of someone else. People today desperately need the help that we can give them. Marriages are being shattered. Children are being destroyed. Individuals are living lives of quiet desperation without purpose or future. And we can make a difference if we will learn to pray on their behalf. So I think that we begin by praying blessings for our neighbors' relationships. If they are married, pray for their marriage. Pray that they would love one another well. If they are living together but aren't married, pray that God would show them his grace. If they are single, pray that God would, would give them deep friendships and community. If they have children, pray. Pray that they would have patience and wisdom and how to, to raise a child in this oftentimes chaotic and confusing world. Pray for their work. Pray that they would have good jobs with good bosses and good coworkers. Pray that they would be financially secure. Pray for their children. Pray that their children would have good friends. Pray that their children would do well in school. Pray for their physical and mental health. Pray blessings for your neighbors. If you're feeling bold, as you start to build those relationships, as you get to know their name and you start to have more conversations with your neighbors, you can actually walk up and ask your neighbor, what would you like me to pray for you about? Almost no one says no to free prayer, even if they don't believe in it. And they certainly aren't offended by it. And we also can ask God what to pray for our neighbors. Because who knows better what our neighbors need than God. And lastly, we need to pray that our neighbors would know Jesus. Pray that he, they would feel God's love in his presence. Pray that God would soften their hearts towards him. Pray that he would reveal himself to them in a real and tangible way. Pray that one day they might know the joy of knowing, loving, and serving Jesus too. And pray that when the Holy Spirit nudges you, that you would actually have the courage and the right words to stay to share the good news that can be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Once again, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so we're going to practice right now, praying for our neighbors. We are going to do a mental prayer walk through your neighborhood. So go ahead, you can pull out your little neighboring magnet, and I want you in your mind to slowly walk through your neighborhood and pray for the eight houses that are on your magnet. I want you to pray for blessings for your neighbors, that they would know our King Jesus. I'm going to give you three minutes right now 
to pray for those that are in your neighborhood. Father, we ask that you would bless our neighbor's relationships. We ask that you, that you would draw them to yourself, that they might know you. And we pray these things in your strong name. Amen. While it can be nice to do a mental prayer walk through your neighborhood, and you can do that anywhere, it can be really nice to actually walk through your neighborhood and you just pray for the house as you pass it, as you're walking your dog at night or you're getting in a little bit of exercise. Now step three is to put steps one and two on repeat again and again and again and again. These are not prayers that we just pray for our neighbors once and then check it off our list. These are prayers that we need to pray over and over again. Jesus teaches us to be persistent in our prayers in his parable of the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18. But we don't really like to be persistent in our prayers, do we? One, we feel like we're so busy that we don't have time for it, which, if we're honest, we probably do. We could probably mute the radio in or out of work. We could probably watch one last show on Netflix. Or we could spend a little bit less time on ESPN or Facebook on the internet. We just prayed through all eight of your closest neighbors in three minutes. I think that we can all sacrifice three minutes two or three times a week in order to pray blessings and that our neighbors might know Jesus. But we also don't persist in our prayers because we don't feel like God is answering our prayers fast enough or in the ways that we are wanting him to. We want instant yes answers. We go to Google and we type something in and within a fraction of a second, we have millions of responses. We go to Amazon and, and you order something and within two days it appears magically on your doorstep in a nice pretty box. We like instant and fast responses. But God doesn't work on our time frame, does he? W. Bingham Hunter, in his book, The God Who Hears, gives a reason why we should be persistent in our prayers. He states that persistence is not a method we adopt to convince a reluctant God that we are serious. Persistence is an act of humility as well as an expression of faith. This attitude is diametrically opposite the popular notion that if we are persistent over a long enough period that God will eventually see the strength of our desire and respond. That is manipulation. That is saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. While humility says, I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to you, God. 
The point, great faith in God always expresses itself in humble acknowledgement of dependency. Humility is not exactly a favorite virtue these days. It seems that pride, the opposite of humility, is what is valued today in our culture. While many people know the pop culture phrase that money is the root of all evil, most people may not realize that pride is the most often cited vice that theologians through the centuries have said is the real source of our sin. We need more humility in our lives. And persistence in prayer creates greater humility in us. Because we are acknowledging that God alone can change our or our neighbor's circumstances. So we are called to persistently pray for our neighbors, waiting upon God's response. And I think that we grow tired and patient and we fear that God has forgotten or hasn't heard our prayers. But I think that God might be hard at work, but we are just not able to always see how he is working. In the late 1860s, a few years after the Civil War had ended, the cities of New York and Brooklyn awarded a contract to John Roebling to build the first ever bridge across the East River. This would be the first bridge that would connect those two cities. And it would eventually become called the Brooklyn Bridge, which still obviously stands today. Now, Washington Roebling... Or, <laughs> Yeah, John Roebling's son, Washington Roebling, led two groups of men who had to dig the deepest foundation ever built for a building twice underwater in the East River. Now, if you were on one of the ferries that would swarm back and forth across the East River, you would be wondering if there was anything actually going on. What were those men doing? And that you would need to have faith that those men were actually accomplishing anything because these foundations took years to build. And I think likewise with prayer that we are on the ferries floating back and forth on the river needing to have faith that God is actually at work building a foundation in the lives of of the people that we pray for. But if you're like me, I usually have good intentions to keep praying for someone and be persistent in my prayers. But then I find that about a week later, I tend to forget what I have done to help my terrible memory. And I encourage you to do the same. Is I have created a five-minute event at 7 a.m. a couple times during the week that's labeled pray for neighbor. It rings, and then right as soon as it rings, I know that right then and there, I'll pray for my neighbors for just a couple of minutes. These events I have recurring every week, and I've put no end to them because I need the help to remember to pray for my neighbors. It's similar to the text that many of us received during the psalm series that would help encourage us to pray for various subjects. Oftentimes, it's not that we don't want to pray. It's just that we forget to pray and for whom we need to be praying for. 
And so I want to leave you this morning with a story that I hope encourages you to keep praying for your neighbors, even if all hope seems lost. Many years ago, in a small, poverty-stricken house in London, there lived a hard-working woman. Her back was bent from years of leaning over a wash tub as she scrubbed laundry. That was her only source of income. And as she leaned over that wash tub and as she scrubbed laundry day after day after day, she would pray for her son. She prayed that one day he might know Jesus. And as a teenager, he ran away from home and he joined, he, he went to sea. But she had faith that Jesus would hear her prayer. And after she died, her prayers were answered. After she died, her prayers were answered. And her son knew Jesus. And he became known as the sailor preacher of London. And he went around and, and spoke about Jesus, and thousands came to know Jesus through him. And we still sing John Newton's hymn today, Amazing Grace. And the words of Amazing Grace have been sung throughout the centuries since by Christians all over the world. The words are just as powerful today as the day he wrote them. The words of amazing grace point to the amazing grace and forgiveness that God had upon a slave trader. Now, John Newton's words reached many different people, and they reached a man of great learning named Thomas Scott, who had avowed that he did not need a savior. Later, Scott's writings led other people to the Lord, including William Cowper, and Cowper's poetry in prose in turn, reached more people. And Cowper's poetry reached a man named William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was the British statesman who would go on to vigilantly fight for the abolition of slavery in Britain. Little did John Newton's mother know or even hope or dream of how great of an influence her prayers as she scrubbed clothes over that wash basin every day. And so I think it's that kind of persistence in prayer where we see God's abounding grace overflowing. And we pray as Jim prayed for his sons, we pray for small things, but God's grace is so much greater that it overflows. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So let us likewise love our neighbors as ourselves and continue to pray bold prayers on their behalf. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross. Thank you for the way that you have loved us. And Father, I pray that you would break our hearts for our neighbors. 
I pray that, that we would see your heart for them. And Father, we pray blessing upon blessing upon our neighbors, and we pray that they might one day know the joy of loving you and knowing you and serving you. And Father, give us the persistence. Give us the energy and the strength and the courage to keep praying those prayers weekly. And so, Father, we pray these things in your name. Amen.